Hello, you have made it back to the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, and I, Jennifer Apple, she, her, am so grateful that you are back here. Thank you for returning, and if this is your first time, I'm so glad that you have found us. On this episode, I speak to Annalisa Lemming about separating your emotions from your thoughts, being willing to examine what's on the other side of fear, risk, release, using our bodies as the vessel through which we can have feelings pass through. Annalisa shares tools from her work with the paradox process, and we talk about embracing possibility over probability and what creativity means. This episode is jam-packed, and I cannot wait for you to tune in. Enjoy. Hello, Annalisa. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? <laughs> I'm so good. I'm so good. Thank you for having me. I'm always so happy to have these intentional conversations with yeah. other artists as well. I'm so pumped. Um, so for those people who are listening uh, who don't know who you are, introduce yourself today. Who are you today? Who am I today? I am Annalisa Lemming. I use she, her pronouns. I I was raised mostly in Tennessee. I I always have been, you know, I'm one of those ones like m- many of us who our parents will say we, they were singing before they were speaking, mm-hmm. you know, actually like my son is as well. <laughs> Interestingly, I just realized that. Um, and oh gosh, what does that mean for him? <laughs> possibility. That's what that means. You know, endless <laughs> possibility. Who knows? Who's to say? So. Um, in in my in my town just outside of Nashville, the access that I had to to music and all of that. I mean, I I, I did all the musicals at school and um, church and and all of that. And my voice teacher sang with the Nashville Opera, mm. and so that and like my choir directors were my major influence as far as what direction I would go in. And so while I wanted to do musical theater, I had nobody in my world that had any uh, expertise in that. And so my voice teacher said, you have to study classically in college. You cannot study musical theater. They will ruin your voice. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was my path and, and I could do it. And, and I, it, I thought it was fun. I thought it was boring. But I thought it was fun to do, boring to watch. Um, and so I I went to University of Memphis for a couple of years and transferred to the Eastman School of Music, which mm-hmm. was, um, for me, an amazing place to be. And my, you know, the guidance in my life, whatever that greater force is that is co-creating alongside me. Um, put me there. The Lot Atlanta competition for singers happened at the time to be held at Eastman. So I saw mm. people doing opera and musical theater. And I, my senior year, I competed in the competition and won second prize. And yes. one of the judges was Ted Sperling, who conducts everything at, Link- everything at Lincoln Center. Another was Ted Chapin, who is president of the Rogers and Hammerstein organization. And they were both, and I was actually going to go to CCM for my master's in opera. Mm. And, um, but from that, you know, all all of a sudden I had Bernie Telsey's office calling me, which meant nothing to me then (laughs) saying, come to Lincoln Center and audition for South Pacific. (laughs) And then, um, so that was my, that was my, and that was my way in. And um, that, that was what brought me to New York. And 
I deferred on my master's and um, that was my path to musical theater. And that was one of the first times that I can think of where I just trusted my gut and and it didn't make sense. There was nothing mm. on paper. No, it didn't make sense in a linear way to go from here to here. Um, but it just felt right. And 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 I think looking back on the last 15 years of my life of of being a professional in our field is is that so many of the the next thing that I've done hasn't necessarily made sense right. <laughs> to somebody else on paper or like isn't maybe the next logical step. So um I think that's something that defines me, something that I I um I like taking risks. Mm-hmm. I like doing the scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually thinking about, you know, what does a natural childbirth, uh, I'm sorry, not natural childbirth, um, unmedicated childbirth, right. it's an old term, natural, unmedicated childbirth and skydiving have in common for me is that there are things that like have scared the shit out of me, but I'm like, yes, yeah. what's on the other side of fear? Um those are some fun fun facts about me. And so here I am. I, you know, I've had the um the great joy of getting to perform in in four Broadway shows, of touring the country, of of working regionally, of doing concerts ar- around the world. And now I'm pivoting again. And and I will always be a performer, but I'm now going more into full-time coaching of of artists and I've just mm-hmm. sold my house in New Jersey. Wow. Congrats. Moving across country. We don't know where we will land, but we will spend our summer in the mountains of Salt Lake City. Oh. And then and then we'll see. So talk about risk and following. Wow. Here we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. How what an exciting moment. Yeah. Full change across yeah. the board. This is yeah. I I want to jump off of what you're saying, I want to jump directly into risk. What mm-hmm. does risk mean to you? I know as somebody for myself, I have my own definition of, of which I'll share perhaps after you share yours so that we're talking the same language. Mm. But I'm curious because you that came up in your intro of like you yeah. are drawn to these things that perhaps are yeah. not linear and yeah. feel like, what is that to you? Well, you know, I've never defined it before, so let's see what comes up. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think of a risk as, like I said, it doesn't necessarily make logical sense. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to leave a Broadway show that you've not been in that long, that you're starring in, to go on the road to do a show. Right. But I did it anyway. That's not that big of a risk, but that's an example of something that doesn't doesn't necessarily make as much sense. Also, that... Um, the biggest risk to me is like when you don't know what something is going to look like, Mm -hmm. but it feels like something that you want to do. It scares you a little bit. It has to scare you or it's not a risk. It has to make you go, Oh God, is this right? Um, and, and, and you don't pad it with like all the nets underneath it with all the plan B's like there's nothing wrong with a plan B, but have a plan B. Sure. Mm -hmm. But you're, but you don't know, this is so silly. This like video game analogy is coming to me where like, (laughs) there's nothing here. You're on this thing and you're going to leap and you could die. Yeah. But but, like, as you're leaping, this thing appears and you land. Yeah. Feels like risk. Yeah. I would, I feel like mine feel mine under conceptually is probably the same where there isn't necessarily the safety net that you rely on. 
And I think for me, risk is has a more exciting like feeling in my body than fear-based decision-making, if that makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah, We're like for the sure. risk for me of skiing, for example, which is one of my favorite things. Every time I put on my skis, these past two winters, I've been able to go live up in Vermont for almost two months and just like do the thing, right? Which has been a wonderful blessing of this pandemic strange time and great privilege, frankly. But putting on those skis and going down the mountain every time I did it, it's a risk. It is a desperately dangerous sport when you are flying down a mountain at multiple miles per hour. And there's always a risk involved. But in my body, in my feelings, in I'd say like my heart and maybe my gut, it's something that the reward yeah. is always greater than the risk. Yeah. Um, in that no matter what happens when I'm flying down that mountain, I know I'd say that retrospectively if something, God forbid, did happen, but whatever happens on that mountain, I enjoyed my time because there was always something that I could grow and learn from in that moment physically also. Yeah. And then when you have that fear, like let's use my, my childbirth as an example. Like yeah. I knew I wanted to have this experience of an unmedicated birth and, but like, it's scary but there's this thing that draws you to it because it's like, I want to know if I can do it. Mm -hmm. I want to know if I can dig deep enough, even if it's a 24-hour labor <laughs> and it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I want to see what I'm capable of and I yeah. want to go beyond my mind. I want to go beyond my thoughts. And so same thing when I was like flying up in the plane and I'm terrified of heights, but I'm like, what's on the other side of these thoughts telling me, mm -hmm. don't do it. This is scary. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's like, what if I can just be in that fear yeah. And see what's on the other side. And so the reward is usually greater because you get this feeling of resilience and strength and expansion. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my God, now the world looks different yeah. than it did before. Yeah. What do you think has empowered you to lean into that throughout the course of your career or certainly now in this part in your life? Well, my mom is the same way. So I think it's in my bones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think... Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't grow up with a lot of fear mm -hmm. in my, in my home. She's a very resourceful human. And, and it was always like, how, well, how can we figure this out? How can we do it? So that's just part of my thinking. And I respect and honor people that don't have that and are riddled with a little more fear and want stability. I think I'm allergic yeah. to stability. As soon as I get really comfortable, I'm like, okay, we're not growing. What's happening? And yeah. maybe that's, maybe that's. Not great either, but it feels good to me. Yeah. Well, I guess an interesting question then is when you work with, you know, students of yours or when you are coaching somebody who perhaps is more fear-based or does have more of that to deal with, what would be some ways in which you can empower somebody to navigate through that or um, feel those feelings and own them in a way that allows them to move through? Yeah. Well, I think it's just that. I think it's learning to separate our emotions and feelings from the thoughts. They're very different things, but most of us don't know. So most of us will say, well, I'm feeling afraid that blah, 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 blah. And it's all one thing. It's like the feeling and the thought or the feeling and the story are just like this one thing. And so we, tr most of us try to manage only the thought and we try to just change the thought, but the emotion's still in our body. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, my way in now, and this was through the paradox process, which I'm a facilitator of, and we can chat about that later, but yeah. our entryway into transformation is through the emotion. And so just going, what am I feeling? And I use a, a list of feeling definitions because again, most of us don't really know, but the more specific we can get, it's like, is it worry or hopelessness or helplessness or despair or frustration? Like, what is it? And then when we kind of, and then we're like, one of my favorite questions is if an alien were sitting, sitting in front of me that had never felt before, how would you describe the physical sensations of this fear? And that immediately helps us drop out of our head and into our body. It's like constriction. It's tight. It's heart racing. It's a lump in my throat. And then just being with the feeling and noticing the mind wants to bobble up. You want to bobble back into your mind and explain why you should be afraid mm -hmm. and, and all that. But can you just stick with the emotion and feel it? And then here's a Brene Brown for you, right? Emotions yes. have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. And if you sit with it, you'll find the crest and then it'll start to dissipate and you become objective about it. And, and I think that's where I... I I find is it's like, oh, I have the fear. I have the fear. Am I making a mistake? Should I be going to, what am I doing? Why have right. I sold my house? Right. But I, I'm objective about it. Um, and, and so it can just be, and I don't, I don't have to get rid of it, but it's not running the show. So I think for people who maybe their emotions, maybe their life is a series of just reacting to emotions. Mm. They don't know it. And the emotions kind of like driving the bus and the stories that the emotions are generating are driving the bus. So just bringing it back to the body. What am I feeling? Can I just feel it? And now from that objectivity, what do I know now? What is the mm. truth? Because I'm not in my fight or flight anymore. And, and so it's like, okay, maybe, maybe it's worth the risk of emailing Bart Shear and trying to get an appointment for something. Right? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about paradox process. How did you get involved in it? What exactly is it? Yeah. What drew you to that generally? So I was in a show with Linda Muggleston. Um, she is a mama of Broadway, currently in The Music Man. I think this is her 13th Broadway show, something yeah. like that. I know. Um, and so she had been going to a facilitator there for a long time. And when I was expressing wanting to find uh, somebody to go along with my husband um, for therapy, and she was like, well, you should check out Paradox. It's not quite therapy. It's its own thing. I went went online, saw the video. So my husband and I went and, I mean, he worked wonders in our relationship. It was amazing. Thomas Jones, he, he created the process. And um. We call it an emotional management system. Because as I was okay. saying, most of us don't have the tools to manage our emotions, the language to manage our emotions, um, and don't realize how much our emotions are actually running the show. And so anyway, I was a student of Thomas's for, or a client of Thomas's for several years. Uh, he was on my podcast multiple times. Um, and then through the pandemic, I started, during the pandemic, I started teaching voice and a, a lot more than I ever had before. And I just found myself so drawn to like what's going on here and what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And that it's so not about like, can you lift your soft palate here? Oftentimes, oftentimes, if we're in alignment, it'll happen. 
And mm-hmm. so I just found myself wanting to talk about these things so much more than, you know, what Val you're singing. Right. And so then I started going, oh, do I, I'm going to go back to school for sports psychology and I'm going to become that in our world, in our business. And then a, an email came about um, becoming a paradox facilitator. And it was just that perfect divine timing. Mm. And was, yes. So I reached out to them and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I want to kind of merge it in within my teaching. So um, they said, come on. And that was in January of last year of 2021. And I finished my training pretty quickly. I did my test. I got my hours and I started uh, working in August of last year. And I very quickly have moved from teaching voice and incorporating that to just kind of full-time coaching. It's what I am so passionate about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a part, it's a part of what I'm doing, but this process has utterly changed my life. And, and more than the five years before when I had worked intermittently with Thomas, it's really been about implementing it on my own every day in my life. It has changed the way I relate to others, myself. Um, I can't say enough about it. Is it more a matter of just simply being able to engage with these emotions and then make them into an objective move forward? Or is there something more to it that has been so compelling for you? Um, yeah, there's a few aspects of it. The emotions. Um, oh, man, I just had no idea how often things like fear or self-doubt, those are probably like, oh, shame, shame. Mm-hmm. That's probably like one of my my greatest hits. So probably shame and self-doubt were mm-hmm. were keeping me attached to things like relationships. Um, fear with money, these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So getting to untie those knots through the emotion rather than just changing my thinking, which I've been doing for years and years, and you can get far that way. Um, But then to me, it felt like a limit. And this felt like this unlocked that next level to keep unraveling those patterns for myself. And then And then there's this whole aspect of then you start to see your stories differently. So the stories that I'm telling, I I now can release that emotion and start to tell other stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I can deliberately create whatever I want to create. Right. And then, and then another aspect is detaching, becoming detached, which I just didn't quite, I, I have been talking about that for years and years. And I really think that's part of part of my, that's part of my success is being able to release attachments to the outcomes in auditions but there were many other areas of my life where i i i was so attached mm-hmm. so when so you there, say attached do you mm-hmm. mean just to like result oriented or is it more a matter of assigning the feelings to the thing and then holding on to those feelings Yeah, both. All of the above and more. So you want an example? Let's have like a real life example. Here's a silly example that is vulnerable to say, but I know probably anybody listening can relate to this. So let's talk social media. Great. We like to all pretend like we're not attached. (laughs) (laughs) Or like literally scientifically attached, like we are clinically addicted. Correct. Yes. Right. But like especially people who are on some sort of spiritual path or like growth mindset. We, who cares how many followers we have and how many likes, how many likes my posts get and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's that 
how much I care about what other people think directly affects what I post and the truth that I speak on that platform. And so now I have this tool for detaching. So short explanation, we use these little key phrases depending on what we're working on. So for detaching, we use a little key phrase called detach clear, sort of a pattern disruptor for our brain. And so here's one way in. You just start ranting on all the things you're attached to by saying, I need. And if you feel resistance, and anybody can like pause this and try it right after I share. So if you feel resistance to it, it's because there's a higher part of yourself, the intellectual part of yourself that goes, I, I know I don't need these things. I know I'm not really blah, blah, blah. But there's a part of us that does. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we can think of it as our inner child or the starving artist within us or whatever that is. They believe that. Right. So let them do the rant and just kind of like, I, I, I need people to love and approve of everything that I post, Detach Clear. I need to get more followers, Detach Clear. I need to look good, Detach Clear. I need people to think I'm an expert in my field, Detach Clear. I need people to see my content because it's important, Detach Clear. I need, right? And you just kind of let it go. And then you step back for a second and you check in and you're like, whoa. If you don't, if you're not connected with that, see how like when that's in your subconscious, it's going to hinder me from showing up in the way that I authentically want to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I start to bring that from the subconscious to the conscious mind. And then I'm like, oh, and I let that go. And when I started doing that, I could actually merge my a balancing act work with who I am as, a, as an actor. That was like that key helped me do that. Before then, I kept them so separate. I was so concerned about what my actor friends thought about my podcast and mm. like that part of me. And I held a balancing act down and like wouldn't shine. Um, so, so concerned about what people thought. So I release all those attachments to that. You know, you can do that with auditions. I need this job to touch clear. I need them to love touch clear. I need to be everything I think they want to touch clear. Yeah. I need to be perfect detach clear yeah what is do you think the, is it the detach clear I guess I want to I'm having I'm, I'm just clocking myself like hearing the word detach so yeah, I want to unpack it before we come back into it for me when I think about detach I actually feel or I I feel in my body a level of resistance because I'm hearing it as disconnecting from truth. And I guess maybe it's not about disconnecting from the truth as opposed to reassigning what truth actually is in that moment. Is that what it is? Right. Because the truth, my truth is not that, let's say I'm going into an audition I care about deeply. My truth is not that I need to be perfect and have everybody love me and book the job. I'm detaching from that. So I wouldn't say like, I need to shine my light unapologetically, detach clear. Like I have that, that is, um, I mean, you could, we could talk about that because that's interesting too. Yeah. But from what you're saying, I'm detaching from my ego's needs. I'm detaching from my little self. I'm detaching from my wounded child who just wants love and attention. Why? And by doing that, is that beneficial because then we can recognize that these aren't serving us in moving forward or is it because 
these are stories we've told ourselves have importance and therefore we've been giving them too much space. Yeah. So when I'm so obsessed with what other people think about me, I'm not objective. Right. And I'm not, I'm not able to be authentic. I'm talking everybody else around me being like, how is what I'm saying affecting them? Do they like me? Am I funny? Do they, do they think I'm pretty? I'm not in my own power. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm very much attached to that. So the more kind of detached or clear, however you want to think about it, I can be from those needs that aren't, I don't really, I don't need, then I can come into my power. And that's, I think one of the biggest changes in my life from doing this on a regular basis is I crowdsource way less. Mm. I ask my friends like what I should do and I and check in like, hey, like I used to be so concerned in different Zoom rooms when I would speak in different right. classes I was in or things like, ooh, what did they think of me? How did they blah, 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 blah. Before I do anything, I detach from being liked, from being adored, from all these things. So then I can just kind of show up and be. And I've noticed like, wow, there's way less replaying of things afterwards. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's such an interesting way of navigating through it because words hold so much meaning to people, mm -hmm. right? And um, connection to things. And yeah, I'm just, for me, I'm just like hearing the word and I'm like, how do how would I find my way in when the word detached feels like a removal somehow of my present self to the thing rather than you did just say, and I think this is my way in of the needs that we actually need. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's the redundancy in that, but there are needs that we feel are important. And then there are the needs of like, we actually do need these things. And being able to separate those two allow us to move forward, right? It's like, do I actually yeah. need somebody's approval or do I desire that for X, Y, and Z reasons that would then make me feel X, Y, and Z? Or is it I actually need to be connected to my heart in this moment to be able to honestly and authentically tell my story. That's probably the main need. The other one is clouding the fact that I can't get to this second one yet because it's making me feel all those other things. Oh, is yeah. that correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. You, it, it's, I mean, you, you also say that we probably like dance between the two. Right. Also, right. Like in an audition or on stage or something like the audience cheers and you're like, ah, and then like you do a laugh line and like there's, crickets and then your heart closes and you're like, I need them to think I'm funny. Right, right, right. And so we like kind of vacillate between the two. That's also very real. Yeah. Um, you know, I think another way that might be fun to think about it, I like calling, like, I have like my human and I have my higher self. Okay. <laughs> so like my human needs love and affection and approval and validation and, and all of these things, my higher self knows that I am inherently worthy and there's nothing that could make me more worthy right. and enough and lovable. So you could go like, okay, my human is going to detach from all the things that they think they need from this audition or this date or this job. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to sit in my higher, in the wisdom of like what truth is in this moment. I love that. That for me resonates. And I Great. feel like, yeah, yeah, I feel like it goes, you know, it goes back to this idea of, you know, we're taught to, to identify with so many quote unquote labels about who we are as people, especially artists. But really when you sit with yourself and you 
recognize that the job doesn't make you worthy and the opportunities <laughs> don't make you worthy. You are worthy because you're a human being who lives on this planet and therefore you deserve everything that you could possibly achieve and, and receive because that's simply your right as a human being to live on this planet yeah. um, and to separate those two. Um, yeah, I would imagine gives a lot more freedom to enter into any space, no matter whether it's for an audition or simply for just existing in a room with yeah. your friends yeah. to be like, this is who I am and what I deserve at all times, <laughs> unapologetically. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so very much for, yeah. for being in my space. Yeah. 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 I love, I love everything you just said. Yeah. yeah. I I also am curious because you mentioned this like list that you have of alternative emotions. Am I saying this properly? The I like the list of emotions. Yeah. How how does one choose if it feels sometimes complicated or does one need to? Like if if oh uh, so usually like in if we're entering into a paradox practice together, I would ask you what is your hottest emotion? Got it. So yes, there will be many. And, and, and when you go into the work, you clear the anger and then underneath that is the shame or right. like, then you clear the helplessness and then underneath that is the self-doubt or what, you know, there's right. so many layers. Yeah. Right. I love that. Um, I wanted to go back into this idea of when we had you on our panel many months ago, because what is time we talked about, um, you know, balancing your creative life and your artistic life and just being a person as an artist. And with this massive, gorgeous transition that you're going through, I'm curious how you are feeling in your body about the way in which your artist self is manifesting now, that it's transitioning or that it's moving through or, or new creations. How is that for you? I love that you asked that because, you. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's so fun for me because I used to think that like, for me, being creative was this. Correct. <laughs> mm -hmm. And now I'm really obsessed with this idea. Like my business is my creativity right Correct. now. I am pouring all of my creativity into the silly reels that I make and the emails I write to my list and the coaching that I do with clients. Um, also being a mom to an almost two-year-old, like I try so hmm. hard to be so present with him and, and see the world through his eyes and that's creative. So Correct. yeah, my, my relationship with, with that has expanded. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend literally today about that and how they were wanting to be more, I guess, intentional or purposeful with their art. And they were saying, you know, do you have access to a guitar? Do you have access to a piano? And I was like, well, why? They're like, because I just want to make more art. And I was like, okay, is that actually what's happening here? Or like, what actually is going on? And they were like, well, you know, I just, I feel that I need to create more spaces through which I can create. And I was like, I love that. Beautiful. I also want to remind you that just because you're not quote unquote, creating in what we would deem to be the main creative ways that artists express themselves doesn't make you any less of an artist. And that because you identify with creation, period, that is what makes you an artist, no matter what it is that you are doing and how your identity is not defined by you sitting at a guitar and now you're an artist. It's like simply you desiring to be creating is what makes you an artist. Yeah. And, you know, we've inherited this system of labeling that if you aren't creating in a certain type of way, then somehow that takes away from your artistry. And right. 
What a yeah. silly little minimizing way to live. Because yeah. you yeah. are, you're giving and serving in this capacity and you are creating and you are inspiring. And it doesn't have to be just because you're standing on a stage and singing, which is a gorgeous way if that is what you want to be doing at the yeah. moment. And yeah. yeah, you know, so that ma that makes me think about, okay, so then where, what, what is creativity? Yeah. What is the source of the inspiration that, that, that is, and I am just like literally doing this physically with my body. I feel it like rise up from within. Mm -hmm. And so I feel, I feel that we, so much, so many of us, we live up in our minds and in our yeah. brains. And, and so it makes sense then that when we're maybe on stage or when we're singing a song or dancing, we can tap into that creativity and that feels so good. Mm -hmm. And although that's not necessarily the case, we can very easily be in mind for that too and analyzing and critiquing and all of that. So, but um, I, I'm really, really, really interested right now in this idea of embodiment, embodiment practices, you know, thinking about it from yoga, this, you know, our second chakra, which is governs creativity, also creative life force, sexual energy, mm -hmm. that's all in the same part of our bodies. And when I started thinking about it that way, like I, I have created a life with my body, but we all have the, yeah. we all have creative life force energy within our body. And how does that relate to creativity and to my art? And it's tapping into this physical sensation of moving and awakening this energy that I think is dormant for so many of us or like mm -hmm. only we only open up to that energy in certain times. And so I'm really interested in as part of my morning practice or or a daily practice for myself is to kind of move from my head down to my heart, down to my pelvis, down to my root, moving that, waking that up, and then pouring that out into the world, whether mm -hmm. it's through Instagram or through a song. And maybe playing the guitar would help me tap into that. We all mm -hmm. have to find our way, uh, our way in, but that's like my jam right now. Yeah. Well, how do you define creativity then for yourself? I think I think the all, all those things that I just said it's like tap it's like life force it's it's okay. it's a it's um possibility mm. it's um and it's something deeper than just mind alone right it's cuz I think our brains are incredible computers but just left to its own without the inspiration actually we we should look that up like i know creativity has something to do with inspiration and that has something to do with breath and i think inspiration is breath yeah um and is of the breath but fact check great um, <laughs> but so so that's like embodied it's this it's this it's an energy that then mixed together with our brilliant brains who um but but overall, right now, the word that comes to me is possibility. And so my soapbox that I've been on lately is that as actors, we can be incredibly creative. Yeah. We, you give us 16 bars and we walk into a room that has people looking at us like this and we just sing at a blank wall and we create an entire world and we create emotions and backstory and relationships. I mean, it's genius. Yeah. And 
But when it comes to our own lives, we are also some of the most stuck people with these fixed ideas on what's possible, on what success is. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two things. (laughs) So I'm really interested in like, how can we actors open up to that same imagination and creativity into our, into our whole lives, into our industry? How can we expand our industry? Yeah. Right? Ooh. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's getting, that's so, it's like my gears are like, this is it. This is the convo. I mean, I, the possibility word I feel is the thing that unleashes gorgeous potential and mess, right? Like when I think about possibility, I think about messiness in all of like the best ways and how process, ju- the journey is the thing through which one can explore all this, all the stuff into the possibility of what is. And the fear or the feelings that come up with the idea of not knowing and therefore being messy and therefore, you know, embracing a process that might be, insert word here, that doesn't feel quote unquote secure or um, may feel overwhelming, right? All these things. That is the sweet spot for A, unleashing all the stuff within you, but really creativity. Like that is the the journey is the thing. And so, I mean, this could be my soapbox too, where I just, you know, I feel so deeply that as artists, we are taught and told that unless you book that show, that is your definition of what success is. But truly, like, what are all the steps that you have taken up until that point? All of the the ways in which you've emotionally, physically, financially invested and then explored in all of those spaces to get to that point. Like, the times that you cried or laughed on your floor to get to that, like, all of that, that is the creativity to get to the quote-unquote point of success. And that is where the possibilities lie. And if you don't enjoy that process for all of those ups and downs, then then where is, like, without creativity is worth it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just being open versus closed. Yeah. Like possibility versus probability. That's another interesting aspect is like most of us think that we're thinking of what's possible, but really we're thinking of what's probable based on past things. Mm. And so we don't really, we're actually not in our imagination and going, oh my gosh, what if I could do this? And like, what if I could be a mom and a performer? I used to think that I could only be either or. What if it's this? What if it's imagination, play, imagination, play, and let your mind, let your brilliant computer brain go to work at those things. Mm -hmm. Rather than I think what many of us do is like, uh, well, you know, it's a pandemic and there are not enough jobs and there's so many actors and I've already had this many auditions that didn't work out and who knows. And maybe I should, you know, just call it quits, but from a place Mm -hmm. of like very limited possibility, linear thinking. Yeah. Scarcity in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We lose this. I I imagine you see this with your son often and I'm making the assumption, but young kids, babies, particularly, you know, there's nothing but being present. Like there's a reason 
you watch a dog or a baby. <laughs> it's like what you need in that moment is what you need, right? And what you desire is what you desire. And what you want is what you want. And what you don't want is what you don't want. Mm -hmm. And it's just simply seeing the world with possibility because you don't know the limits that exist yet. Obviously, as we keep growing, you learn them. But I would imagine having your son is a gorgeous reminder on a daily basis of possibility and like oh, yeah. seeing the world from a fresh set of eyes all the time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Being present. And the, and I think possibility is in the presence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This has been such a wonderful journey that I don't know if you were anticipating, but here we are. Um, we're like winding our time. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you feel for artists who are listening wherever they are in their journey, but particularly perhaps those who are feeling stuck or who are feeling like this is a beautiful moment of possibility or transition or choice that you may want to impart some thoughts towards? Well, I, you know, usually I have so many things to say, but I really feel like I feel I I hope and feel that that what we've shared will serve will serve mm -hmm. for the those people and and if you're if you're sitting here and you have more questions than answers that's beautiful right and I don't think there I don't think that there will be a a, a definitive this necessarily but but questions are such a great way in what if what is possible and um and starting to to go back to what am I so attached to? Why am mm -hmm. I so attached to this working out in this specific way? Whose desire is that? Is it a, a is it a family's desire? Is it because I see everybody else around me doing this? Mm -hmm. um, and how attached am I to that? And um, and then I, I guess okay. So here's the thing: we found our we found our way there. It's um, what keep keep taking yourself back to what is it that I think I'm going to feel or do or be or have when I have that thing that I want so desperately? What is it? And then how can I give myself permission to have some of that now, whether it's a feeling of worthiness, how can I have some of that now? whether it's a, 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 a physical thing like financial stability, what can you do for yourself to give yourself more of that right now rather than waiting for that Broadway show to provide that? Um, so, so we're getting really clear, like really doing this. Like what do I think I'll have when I buy a house mm -hmm. that I don't have now? And, and when we start living our lives that way, we stop waiting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for going on this journey with yeah, me so today. So for fun. those who want to perhaps work with you or learn more or listen to your podcast or all those things, what are the respectful, boundaryful <laughs> ways that people can reach out to you and contact you? Yeah. So I have three seasons of my podcast. They're nice and old, but they are evergreen. So you can find those wherever you find your podcast, A Balancing Act. Um, Instagram is definitely where I'm the most active. Um, so Annalisa Lemming. And so message me there. That's where I that's where I hang out and connect with people. I have 
very limited room to do some big coaching. Um, it's certainly it's certainly more for people that have some years of experience under their belts, mm-hmm. and it's for people who really want to push up their sleeves and do some work and and make some like, massive transformation in their life. So, yeah. it's a nice, pretty big chunk investment of time and money. Um, but but you'll know in your soul if that's speaking to you. So great. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. As we all know, there are so many ways to navigate our thoughts and feelings and emotions. So if anything was shared today that you felt was helpful for you, I invite you to put that into your metaphorical toolbox to use as you need. If you like this episode, please rate, follow, like, and most importantly, review us. I cannot express how much this helps the podcast continue and meeting other people who need to hear it. If this podcast wasn't for you, just let all of that slide. And if you aren't doing so already, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, and find more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. Thank you again for tuning into this week's episode, and I cannot wait to have you back again next week. Until then.